Welcome to another exciting interview of Kung Fu Conversations with the legendary, world-class Sifu, Russ Smith. Yeah, I got to blow a little smoke up your skirt, Russ. I appreciate it. As my old football coach would say. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us today, Russ. I'm super excited to ask you some questions and get into topics and you name it. The pleasure and honor is all mine, really. Just in case, I know you graced the airways on Monkey Steel's Peach and had some really great reception there. And uh, as well as your Sifu's podcast, um, Sifu Mark Wiley, uh, what is the name of his po- new podcast that he's just starting? Yeah, it's called Transformations. So he covers a wide variety of topics, really looking to see how people are really growing through their experiences and their art. And, you know, it's not really limited specifically just to martial arts, but it can be all kinds of tangential topics, including spiritualism, Taoism, all sorts of, uh, you know, concepts that, um, you know, stretch beyond the norm. Uh, so yeah, it's not just martial arts, but he's trying to make sure he's got a good representation of kind of flipping back and forth, covering a lot of topics and, and subject areas. Yeah. I've listened to a few of his shows and that's pretty, pretty great stuff. Pretty great yeah, stuff over there. So super impressed. Yeah. You know, um, he is one of those people, uh, just super close friend of mine has been incredibly giving and I just think is incredibly talented, a real renaissance man in so many ways. And, um, you know, I think, uh, I think I am about as, you know, uh, on the top, towards the top of the scale about how nerdy you can be with martial arts, right? Like I'm a collector. I study things about styles that I've never studied and might never have a chance to, but you know, I just always am surprised where I have conversations with him. And he's like, you know, back in 78, I was there when this happened and this thing happened. And I was just like, well, I just forget all these places he's been and the things he's seen and the the level at which um he's been involved in things that we forget about or, or have lost track of. So he's there's a lot of really good things to come from him and his podcast as he starts to release more content. I'm really excited for that. I am, too. I am, too. Super quick. I don't want to spend the whole show because I've got a ton of only Russ Smith can answer these kind of seafood Russ Smith answers. Uh, would you, for the audience, give maybe a Reader's Digest quick background on what you've studied and what you're currently studying? Oh, that's it. I like the what you're currently studying. That's that's one you don't get a lot. Um, yeah. So my background started in Okinawan Gojuru, uh, an Okinawan style of karate. So I'm a karate guy from way back. And um uh, I also started Eskrima at that time because I started my training while I was actually in the Philippines. Um, and then when I came back to the States, I continued my studies. So, so about 36 years ago, I started in Gojuru and Eskrima. Probably 25 years ago, I started in Okinawa and Kobudo. So Mariyoshi Kobudo. Um, 22 years ago, I started five ancestor boxing. About 12 years ago, I started white eyebrow, uh, Hakka white eyebrow. Um, I've had a chance to study various things, uh, to, to lesser degrees, uh, various forms of white crane, uh, Southern white crane, um, studied some, uh, German sword fighting, which I found fascinating. Love it. Um, uh, currently studying some Southern dragon, which is a lot of fun because it's very Ooh. much the same, same family as my white eyebrow and, and, uh, Southern mantis that, uh, good friend of mine has shared with me. So, um, so a good mix of things, but mostly Southern short arm styles yep. relative to my original interests in, in karate and kind of how karate might have been and was in some ways certainly influenced by uh, Southern Chinese martial arts. 
there was a uh, something, you know, it's funny cause I, I've just been listening. I probably listened to it three or four times with you and Will. And it's so fascinating because I feel like you answered some things where my mindset was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I started Wing Chun coming up this October 25 years ago, uh, with Sufu Mayer. Uh, we had the club over at Mesa and that summer it was, it was kind of serendipitous. I currently live in Longmont like Owen does, which is about 15 miles outside of Boulder. But I was looking around and, you know, the internet was in its infantile stages. So you had these one web pages, right? Yes. Just one oh, page yeah, yeah, yeah. and they were as much. Uh, how do we call it? Chinese Kung Fu sparkles as it was reality. Sure. And there, there was a gentleman in Longmont actually teaching Pak Mei, okay. um, out of the YQ Wong lineage, oh, yeah, um, yeah. which is out of, out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was coming up to Boulder. He was part of an interesting cat. He was, um, one of the captains of the Boulder SWAT team, but he was going to acupuncture school at the same time in Boulder. Nice. And so he was teaching at third Main out of a defunct. Uh, Taekwondo studio, which many years ago, Owen actually <laughs> did a long time ago, some Taekwondo there. So yeah. I think we were serendipitous on meeting as well, but That's it's, cool. it's interesting because, you know, I reached out to people in my early twenties, like Martin Watts had yes. a one page. Yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, you know, I've been reading some of Yang Jun Ming stuff and I kind of feel like maybe Wing Chun has this white crane origin. And when I was talking, and I'm, I'm going a long way to get to a question that I have for you. When I was talking to Sifu Mayor, he said something. And it reminded me a little bit of what you were talking about, where folks are going back to China to try to explore their karate roots yeah. of these white crane, of lohan, of certain things like that. Yeah. And Sifu Mayor said, he's like, maybe Wing Chun did start. Maybe. Hypothetically. It did start as white crane, but now it is manifested and it's grown into something that's uniquely its own. So are you trying to integrate? Are you feel like your Wing Chun's missing something? Or are you trying to water them down by cross training them? And so it does become a personal, you know, journey kind of thing. But I found it fascinating that you were talking about, you know, Wei Chi Ryu going back to maybe training with some of the Hutsukwan or respected tiger guys. And it's like, is this the ancestor? It's like, no, at this point, they're far distant cousins. Right. Because not only do the forms look different, but the tactics are different. Mm -hmm. The training is different. The power method is different. All these other things. So do you get a lot of folks coming to you from a karate background trying to, how do you say this? Maybe Southern Kung Fu eyes? Yeah. Karate. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I, I think like attracts like, right. And so I think it's, it's really common that people who are interested in what we're doing here at the Buren Khan, um, are, are probably somewhere along that same journey, right? So <clears throat> before me, Patrick McCarthy really blazed the trail sure. here and, and exposed the world to a lot of information that we didn't have prior. And then, um, <clears throat> you know, Martin Watts, of course, has put out great information. Um, I, you know, I'm trying to do my part to help as well. And, and for me, uh, you know, in the, in the theme of transformations, right? It has been a transformative journey for me because I, like a lot of people expected there to be a, um, simple, easy, revelatory answer to the question. And that would be 
that I would find the secret white crane kata that would answer all of my problems. Right. And so, um, I don't think I'm alone in that. I I'm quite sure I'm not. And, and what I found over time is that's the furthest thing from the truth. And I think you, you really touched a little bit on it, Randall, where, where the reality is, um, we're, we're distinct cousins at this point, but the question is, what do you then do with that? Like, do you say, well, I'm me and you're you and, we met and we're done and, you know, we cross paths and, and that's that. And, you know, or do we have a friendship or do we try to learn from one another? Right. And so for me, um, as much as I, uh, like to put things in boxes and categorize things, keep them separate and, um, and treat them all fairly and, and equitably. Um, I'm just like anybody as I get older, it's harder to remember the source of every bit of information. It's hard to keep everything in its perfect box. And, I don't always tidy up after myself. So sometimes things lay around and get confusing. Um, but the reality is like my goju now is much more Chinese in teaching methodology than it is, um, Okinawan. Although the physical expression of it is still much more Okinawan than it is Chinese. So when I say that, I, I, I mean things including not only like fighting strategies and tactics that are Chinese that I can apply or I do apply to how I think about usage, no matter what it is I'm doing. Um, it's really hard to separate, you know, just pure utility from a stylistic perspective. Um, but I would say the teaching methodologies are very different. So I was thinking about this earlier today, you know, being somebody who trains at Okinawan martial art, a Filipino martial art, a Chinese martial art, who's an American, I think I'm in a uniquely challenging place to to make sense of what those cultural pressures put on us because, you know, I'm going to paint some real broad strokes. So please do. So um, we can come back to nuance at, at some point. But, you know, I mean, the broad strokes are something like, you know, so the Japanese phraseologies include things like, um, you know, uh, the protruding nail must be pounded down, right? So, uh, conform to the art. Don't ask the art to conform to you, mm. right? So that's one, one approach to traditions. And it's, it's one way of thinking of things that's, that's culturally impactful. And so what I found when I went to Chinese martial arts was I found a very different style of approach to, to training, which was more in, in many ways freeing and liberating because I basically said, well, if we can agree on the core strategy, the implementation is a matter of detail and example. Therefore, the variation can be widely, uh, can, can cross a wide spectrum yet still conform to the stylistic expectation. Right. And, and so, and I know that this is also true. Um, you know, you could go somewhere in a Chinese martial art and somebody could say, yeah, well, their stuff's a little different, but it conforms to the principle. So it's cool. But over at the other table, when he's talking to somebody else, he's saying something totally different because he's like, he's ragging on the guy because, well, my teacher yep. was the fighter and his was the, the forms guide, whatever. Right. So, you know, there's no, like I said, I'm painting broad strokes, but we have a million of those conversations, by the way, off air. And we're yeah. not going to say about, yeah, well, it, it's, right. it's no still names out there. No names that's necessary. It. Right. That, that's it. But, but to take the good elements of that, right. To, to aspire to the better portions of what that can bring to us. 
I think it's important that we that we do know our art's core principles, whatever they are, because they express some uh, assumptions, biases, and preferences that guide our particular art. And every art has some some overlap and some variance uh, in those things. But if you're not clear about the, what those are, you can end up in places where a lot of uh, karate people were were. I, there's a real renaissance has gone through the karate world in the last decade or so um where where people have been really trying to revive these arts and well let me let, let me let me take that little aside if you don't mind oh, uh, you know please. I, I i mentioned uh german sword fighting and so I'm a, I'm a real fan of the approach that hema players use to be intellectually honest about the activity they're engaging in so basically the way i read that or the way i would say it is you have people who are reviving a dead art, figuring it out from old texts, trying things, testing it, trying to make sense of the old poems and the old, the old drawings. And, and I think there's a, a real level of honesty there. And I don't always see that honesty, uh, you know, let's say, for instance, sometimes in the karate community where people will cross train and then say the information was in the kata all along, but it's like, well, you just did a, you just did a Brazilian jiu-jitsu movement or a Muay Thai technique and you're saying it was always in your Naihanji kata. So, well, let's just be honest about what we're doing because I think there's a lot of dishonesty in humanity. There's a lot of dishonesty in the history of martial arts and martial traditions and secrecy and marketing and these other things that lead to, to dishonesty. So I think um, for us to do a better job for future generations, we need to document things, be clear about what we what we're good at, what we're not good at, and um, just in so many ways try to do a better job. So a lot of directions we could go with that, but I'm not sure where you want to go. Well, I'll throw you this two cents going off of what you just said there. Uh, I have a lot of friends that will – you can see it on the Instagram, on the internet everywhere. What will happen is you'll see a movement that kind of looks like Wing Chun, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they'll be like, look, they're using a Wing Chun hand in MMA. Yeah, and it's yes, funny because the yes. first person to comment on that, um, and I feel the same way, but I, I, I try to continue this, um, conversation going forward, if you will. By the way, Owen, take a note. We should name the show Kung Fu Conversations. I've been thinking about that for a <laughs> while now. So, uh, Sifu Alex, I've listened to him talk a lot on his show. If I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Kung Fu Genius, but, uh, if you're not absolutely worth your time, check out, uh, our friend Sifu Alex Richter. Up in New York, uh, he learned Wing Chun in a castle for three years in Germany. How cool is that? Um, but anyway, so I was like, okay, then I was thinking, okay, if they do use a hand that's, you know, MMA gloved and it maybe looks like the Bong Sao, then why is it not Wing Chun? And so I had to really kind of drive in my head and I'm like, well, it's the intangibles. It's the tactics that create that movement. In space. And there's a reason in Wing Chun that we create this movement. And it's part of the system that makes up the movement. It gives that movement function. And so to me, a lot of the times when I see a snippet of, okay, that looked like a karate reverse punch. Is it karate? Is that one movement have to represent the entire system? of karate and what style of karate and what lineage of Wing Chun. We don't really need any of that garbage in there. But I think that a lot of the things when I see certain things used in MMA, and that's, that's a good source of reference is, 
Is that this? Is it that? It's the intangibles. It's the principles. It's the setup. It's the tactics that make it not Wing Chun. It's not the things. It's not this shape that is Wing Chun and Wing Chun alone. You might see the shape in White Crane. I've seen Southern Mantis use this shape, but for different reasons. And so that's some of the intangibles, that principle-based stuff that maybe you're, you're talking about there. I don't know if any of that. <laughs> I, that of- no, that, that really does hit home, Randall, because, you know, I, I think constantly about this very simple diagram. It's this theory with a, with an arrow and it points to example and it, the example points back up to theory, right? So you have theory driving the examples, which are, which are only well understood through the theory. So I think about it kind of like the, um, what, what was this? The, um, I'm trying to think back to philosophy, right? The, the real versus the ideal, right? Mm-hmm. We have the ideal and that, that is what the art is trying to tell us, right? The, these martial arts don't exist anywhere except in theory until you become an avatar of a system, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to think about, it's just one interesting way to think about it, right? I mean, you, you, at some point you can become the embodiment of a system if you train it well enough and train it properly, but it's really theory, right? So, the theory of Bong Sao should say things like, here are cases and situations where Bong Sao makes sense to use and a whole series of places where you better not force it, right? So I, I think this is really the way tech, boy, talk about uh, labeling things. What's a, what's a, what's an application? What's a technique? You know, it's an interesting thought, right? So my, my mind has been shifting towards thinking less about techniques and applications and more about what is the skill we're talking about mm. the skill is closing a closing a gap the skill is changing a gate the skill is crossing a bridge the skill is you know um um moving someone's center so it's a it's it's yet another abstraction of kind of how we might think about systems theory but I do think it's an interesting problem to solve because to get away from techniques means you have to somehow get away from applications, but applications are the examples we can use to understand the systems. Sorry, that, yeah, that, went, that went very high level theoretical. <laughs> real fast. No, 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 that's okay. Good stuff. I was just going to mention, you know, that's kind of the way that we, like I do Chinese internal martial arts and, that's a lot of the way that we talk about things. We talk about skills. We talk, instead of talking about individual techniques, we'll talk about skills or we'll talk about principle and we'll have inside of those ideas, we'll have lots of different techniques that may As examples. skill. Yeah. 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 Exactly. No, that's fantastic. So, uh, could you give me, could you give any example from that, from one of those arts? I'd love to hear, uh, maybe Shingi, some Sampada. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking of. So we have a series of, we have a series of like bridging techniques, but like in Xingyi, we use like Pichuan, which is sort of the yep. mother. And really it's, it just represents, it's represented in the idea of vertical circles. So we would say that's, that's sort of the gene, which is like uh, the, the power. And then the, the actual skill of using it, we'll use that as, we'll use it as a bridge and then we'll use it as, as a short inside technique. We'll use it to get from inside to outside. Then we'll apply it to a number. We'll apply it to the hands as well as we'll apply it to kicking. We'll apply it to uh, like a, more of like a wrestling or throwing technique. So you know we have 
we'll take that single piece and then we'll break it down into a number of different skill sets where it can be applied. That's fantastic. I love that. And I think that is a, I think that's a great way that a technique was likely created in the past, right? Like to say, what is a technique? Well, it's a movement I found myself using a lot. Therefore, I want to become extremely fast and powerful with it because I actually know of many ways to use it. Right. Yep. Yep. That's a very good way to say it. You know, a big transition for me, you know, I want to say I met Owen about 15 years into my Wing Chun journey. And a lot of the first three years, Russ, was trying to not do Wing Chun when I was trying to do the Shingy, yes. right? And, and and you're training the whole nervous system differently. And something that, and I'm not going to speak for Owen, I'm going to speak as a student of Owen and learning. And a big learning curve for me, and I'll give you an example for it. Owen talks a lot about this. And this, I want to say, is specific to our Shingy. I'm not, we're not talking about every Shingy lineage out there. But if you can't develop the power usage that Shingy has, then if you see somebody doing what you might call a shingy technique, like this is how you enter or this is, but if they don't display the power, then it's not shingy. Shingy is a power method and it's multiple power methods. Each of the elements have one, you know, set of power methods or whatever that it really displays well. So you have to develop the skill of the body awareness and the power and then you can start to apply that power into yeah. the practical application of whatever that may be. That's fantastic. So that, that was a big learning curve for me to go yeah. through. Yeah. Um, just, just conversation no, that's, there. That's, that's, that's great. Um, I, I agree, right? I, I think that again, if you think about things idealistically, like from a theories driven perspective, the art is its shapes, its strategies, and it's body methods, right? So it, it has to, I think every art needs to have a cohesive system of those things. And not all of them have a great teaching methodology, but I think that's, that's a, that's a thing that I really want to continue to develop for in my teaching and, and for my students. Like, uh, the other half of my brain is on the wall behind me, which is a white, big whiteboard. And, and back there, I've outlined kind of the structure of some things that I'm in the process of writing. And part of the, part of what's there is a, a four, categorization system that I use to think about each of the things that I'm doing. Um, before I mention that, I'll just say that the earlier method of this was one I learned from feeding crane and they talked about feeding crane being made up of, and now this is a Taiwanese lineage of Lu Lu Changi's yep. family of feeding crane. Yep. Um, he would talk about their style being made up of kind of three pillars, um, Xing Gong and Fa Xing being mm. the external shape, Gong being the power and fa being some combination of strategies and application concepts. Mm -hmm. And I was trying to use that methodology to make good sense of other things. And I found it just a little bit, just the tiniest bit constrictive. So here's, here's how I've blown that out just a little bit. I think of just about every style in four categories. First one being theory, theory, including things like history, morality, uh, teaching theory, training theory, strategy, and tactics. All the, all the cerebral elements of kind of what you're talking about. The next one is body development. And I mean something very specific here. And this is, 
way. Words matter so much. I spent so much of my career in consulting and, you know, you want one word for everything and not to reuse the word for different things or different words for one concept. And so I've heard words like conditioning. Well, what's body conditioning mean to you? I guarantee it's different to me. So I, I'm trying to use really good terms, real precise terms, right? So when I say body development, I mean generalized and sport specific physical development leading to the creation of a body that can fight if necessary, which also has the side effect of developing some positive mental attributes, bravery, calmness, things like that, right? So body development being kind of that second major tier. The third one being body coordination, and that being Mm -hmm. the stuff that we spend most of our careers on. So body coordination is the posture of the art, the movements Mm -hmm. of the art, the combinations of the art, and the the power and flow development of the art. So basically, a lot of what you can do solo, but and a lot of what's in the taolu and the kata, it would all be that body coordination element. And of course, people who come to train with you who are not natural athletes, sometimes your first two, three, five, ten years of training, they're not really learning martial arts yet, right? They're learning, bo- they're they're creating the good connection between their mind and the body which they didn't have because they weren't athletic. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think all of those things lead to the fourth column, which is skill development. And that being the actual application and usage of the, of what you've been presented with so far. Right. So put it all together. It's almost like a plus B plus C equals D, you know, the, the opportunity to actually develop real skills. And, and so with, maybe this is where traditional martial arts really deviates from you know, um, going straight into a combative sport, right? I mean, that's a long process. Each of those four pillars has 20 sub elements and, you know, it's a very well-rounded, holistic, progressive way to develop a person into a set of fighting skills, but you could also just throw some gloves on and go fight. Yeah, so, sure. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's not to say that our way is the only way, but it is a very good way if you do it well and progressively, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. I love those categories that you came up with there. It's interesting because, you know, again, you were talking about it right, right, right away early that you're a gentleman from the West that is looking at something from the Philippines, yep. something from Southern China and something from Okinawa. And so a lot of the lens, I mean, even if we study those cultures inside and out, there'll always be a barrier. And yep. so I think it's okay to try to look through those traditional lenses of those cultures, respect those cultures, but also realize that maybe having a Western set of glasses as well to look at those classical systems, because when it comes down to the end of the day, even though they're classical and maybe ancient systems, if you will, they were developed by human beings with red blood and breathing the same oxygen uh, that we always have been on this planet. I'll throw you two cents. I want to just share this with you. Uh, if you like it, cool, use it. Uh, if not, that's cool too. I tried to develop a lens like this to look at things. And since Sifu Mayer, uh, it's funny because I have an English literature degree and Sifu Mayer is like the architect, the computer programmer and the mathematician slash psychology major. So every time he throws stuff at me, it's like, I don't know if that side of my brain works really well, but I'm going to give it a shot. But the things that I really looked at, looking at a lot of Southern arts, because I loved the Southern arts and I still do. And then I started working the internal arts with Owen and trying to 
get an eyeball of what makes all of these thousands of Chinese martial arts similar. And what I've come down to is power generation. And I look at it through two lenses. Is it a whipping power or is it a spherical power, a round power, right? Um, and then the other thing I do is, is it a whole body unit or is it a partial body unit? And I'll give you an example. Um, even a great classic, powerful, beautiful reverse punch from karate. The stance is planted. And then the torso and the upper body is moving. Where if you look at something like Baji and Tongbei, the whole body will move for a whipping power. The foot and the hand is moving simultaneously, right? So the lower and upper body are moving in coordination. Western yeah. boxing does that quite a bit too. Yeah. And then the spherical power, like if I was uh, – Wing Chun would be a partial body whipping system, right? Um, we can move while we're throwing. We use a lot of whipping power also, but we, we, what we like to do is kind of point that stance, if you will, like a little tank and then go forward there and then hold the ground. And if I get more of that ground, I'm going to feel that I'm going to inch my way forward, but it's still whipping at a partial body power. Right. I would even say, you know, um, you know, like the Tongbei and the Bagi, those are whole body whips, but you still have to have an essence of the rotational aspect as well. It can't live in one universe and one universe alone because we're more, we're more complicated than simple machines, you know, lever, pulley, fulcrum. We are more complicated than that. And then the other thing too is like, if I was looking at a small, a partial body spherical system, I would look at something either like wide eyebrow where the stance is planted and then you rotate through the waist and the hips, right? And you're using that rotational power. Or even um, certain Yichuan lineages, they'll move the feet and they'll plant and then they'll rotate through the back. And unlike wide eyebrow where we might be front-loaded and front-weighted, that Yichuan is using that erect posture and doing that partial body. Where a Bagua, if you're training the spherical walking, the whole body is wrapped. The whole body is spherical. And the foot and the hand timing is simultaneous. And those are that's a that's a timing aspect to give a body quality. But those are some of the lenses that I've looked at for the power generation and the power function. Oh, that's fantastic! And, I mean, it just shows me how much more I have to learn. I'm sorry, Owen. Were you going to say something? Uh, no, no. I just I had a I had a sort of a follow up question to something you were saying before. Um, you know, and in, in the beginning, you had talked about you know studying multiple styles, and it seems like you know I, I know that your martial journey has some of those styles have overlapped with each other. And I know I I have studied multiple styles under different teachers at the same time. So, you know, I had kind of a I had a question about like so when you're when you're when you're going through that process of studying, you know, different styles, do you how how do you manage that? You know? How do you what what's your process of managing that because there's a lot of information there. There is, there is. And and you know what as as um Fortunate as I feel to be able to make some small successes. Of course, I wish, uh, I wish I had a lifespan that was, would be 500 years so I could study all the things I want to, um, one at a time so I could do them all more justice. Um, I think, um, I think I've staggered them enough that, uh, I've been able to keep most things, uh, in their proper boxes. 
I find mm. that one of the things, I, you know, I think there's a thing that I, I feel not enough people put enough time into traditional martial arts and that is real shadow boxing. Like I, I, it took me a long time to realize how badly I was missing that in my own upbringing was proper shadow boxing in a traditional lens. Um, and so I think when I realized I was lacking that, I started adding that to everything I did. And I find that when my brain switches to white eyebrow, the horse is white eyebrow, the energy is white eyebrow, the flow is white eyebrow. If I'm thinking mantis, boy, I got to really relax and then I can let the mantis come out or, or you know, or, or I can get real springy with a dragon or, 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 um, you know, I, I think the different, the different styles that I've studied, maybe I've studied them just enough that I feel like I can invoke the right energy mm-hmm. when I'm practicing. And I, again, I, I have a lot to learn and a lot more studying to do. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly would wish I was better at everything that I do. Um, it's hard. Cross training is hard. I think the stance is the hardest thing to get mm-hmm. a good, a good stepping patterns that are accurate to every style that you practice. I think that for me is the hardest, maybe not true for everybody else. Um, but yeah, I, all that said, um, there's a few things for cross training that are important to me. One is I hope that through my cross training and my writing and my efforts to try to improve my teaching, that my students will need to cross train less. I would never mm. ask, I would never ask them not to. I would never put any barriers in their way, but I do hope that my journey will make their journey more streamlined and effective. So I hope that out of the cross training. Um, and part of this is just, damn, it's fun. Like I just love learning. Like, just, you know, I'm, there are some things that I do that I, I hold a real strong responsibility for. Some of my teachers put the responsibility in my hands. It weighs heavy. You, you carry it. Other things I do because it's pure personal enrichment. It's fun. I, I learn little things. Sometimes I learn a word. Sometimes I learn a concept. Sometimes I learn a movement and it, and it, it fills me up for a month, right? I've, I've been fed. I'm happy. I'm joyous, right? It just keeps me going. So, um, yeah, cross training. I, I enjoy the hell out of it. I have a few things that are deeply embedded in my body. Some things I don't really teach or would only teach maybe privately, but other things I teach in group format. Cause I really, it's important for me to get them out there. I've got it. There's a numbers game as a teacher, right? You got to try and get enough people who can carry this stuff on into the future. It's tough. Yeah. 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 So I was going to ask, you know, in the, in the, in the process of passing a lot of that stuff along, do you, do you find that you, you know, if you, do you have something that's similar across a style, given maybe it's a technique or maybe it's a skill? Do you, do you sometimes, you know, I, cause I've done a number of different martial arts, sometimes I juxtapose something and I'll have to like stop, think about like, okay, which thing goes where? Yeah, I, you know, the, one of the early phases in my training, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have probably dealt with this was the, how do you deal with difference, right? Like when you, when you encounter the, um, what's it called? Uh, uh, when you encounter an answer opposite to what you understand, Mm -hmm. um, 
how do you how do you manage that inconsistency, right? And mm. um, you know, originally, oh. yeah, I've been chasing so many chasing so many uh, dragons over the years, right? Have so many strange paths and things that I look back on and go, well, that was kind of a waste of time, and that was a uh, a real red herring. But um, uh, I lost my train of thought there a little bit. Um, How about another question? I'd like to you get back to-, to it though. So, um, the in the cross training, ah, forget it. It's lost. It's lost. Unless <laughs> you can, right. unless you can prompt me back. I, I, Owen, do you want to try try to get him going again, or do you want me to throw another question that might lead him back to the cross training? Just go for it. Right. Okay, here's one. Sorry, guys. No, you're good, Russ. Don't, don't, hey, it's, it's a conversation. It's okay. I, I derail things all the time, my friend. Luckily, I don't debust things though, cause that would, that, that's dangerous. <laughs> that is good. That's good. <laughs> Occupational hazard. Yes. When I was, I was training an old friend of mine in Wing Chun. I was about four or five years into it. And I, I really wasn't in a place where I probably should have been training somebody, but I was coming home from college in the summer times and I needed somebody to get that hand play yeah. and that, yeah. that biofeedback with. And this gentleman had had years and years of like an Ed Parker Kempo and um, let's say a Taekwondo. Do you ever find that it's a hard curve to teach people that come from systems that are 100% technique based and then trying to understand, teach them that barrier to entry of what a principle based method was. Because one thing that I had trouble with was explaining to him, okay, you see this hand shape? Well, this one shape might have six or seven different uses. Yeah. Instead of, well, when they do this, you do that, which is yeah. more, you know, yeah. that cook cookbook learning stuff. Have you found yeah. maybe a method? Maybe I'm asking for secrets here. Have you found maybe a method or do you have to kind of let each student kind of overcome that, that that's a steep hill to overcome because it if is. you're so used to learning a certain way yeah. and then maybe you come in with 15 years of, well, when they do this, you do that. And when yeah. they do this, you do that. Okay. And then you're like, okay, well you can do this on this side of your body and then yeah. you can do this on this side of your body. And then yeah. maybe it can be this hand defending your side of the right, body, right, right, this hand defending this side of the body. How do you, how do you start to, uh, tackle that with, with a, with a new student that's coming into you with the technique based, uh, learning system? Yeah. 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 So great, great question. And also I can, I can, uh, properly answer the question I got that I, uh, men- mentally derailed on. So, um, that, that question, the, the earlier one was about kind of how to deal with when, um, when you're cross training one technique kind of, um, conflicts with another, right? And, and so, um, from my perspective, it, once I got past the point where I got frustrated at differences, I could understand that differences represented more opportunities for understanding, right? So mm-hmm. if you said, well, you know, hey, he applies bong sao this way, but this other teacher said you, you apply it this way. Well, rather than taking that as an internal conflict and, and, and picking a side, right? Figuring out the right context for each of those answers became much more important, right? So when you, when you can accept the differences that have been passed down to us all as truth, they are true in a particular context and finding out that context seems to be the important way to make uh, amends with that in my mind. 
So that's that's how I've tried to make sense of that is to think of it all as more tools in the toolbox as opposed to problems that I've got to um, uh, rally around from a tribalistic perspective. <laughs> that's, that's a awesome. great way to put yeah. that. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And then, um, you know, uh, the other question about like how to deal with people that come at this from a very techniques perspective, right? I mean, that is the journey I've gone through in the last like 15 or so years, really trying to work on that. So when, when I, uh, first realized there was a world outside of being technique centric, I really, um, my, uh, analytical brain was hotly engaged and this became my new obsession, right? So, understanding what that meant and why why that was going to be the answer to all the questions I had about karate. Why, like, I thought I was going to get the secret Kung Fu manual when I started training and it was going to give me the answers. And I was going to be like, okay, we do this because of this and we don't do this because of this. And here's how you use the art. And karate, honestly, most, you know, again, We'll catch some haters here, but I don't want that's to okay. paint too broad a stroke. A lot of karate didn't have the writings that a lot of kung fu systems have. Mm-hmm. So the theory was more haphazard, more mm-hmm. oral, orally passed down, um, and not nearly as comprehensive as something you might see in especially something like Wing Chun, which is well documented and well, uh, the theories were, uh, you know, quite comprehensive. So, um, you know, I came at it from that perspective. So I really went on a journey to try to figure out, well, what, what are these strategies and tactics that I should have, should have learned about day one, but I didn't, right? So I started getting pretty down on my experiences and my teachers and frustrated. And, you know, it's only, it's only with time can I look back and go, well, some of that was my fault. Like I'm not the best student. I forgot stuff. I didn't take the best notes. I didn't understand. I didn't take ownership. You know, it took me many years to be able to come to that place and look back and take more ownership of that part of the process. But, but there was a lot, uh, not presented. So for me, I had to go look at the strategies and tactics that were out there and try to understand how they might fit into my original art, Gojuru. And I had to go look at other arts that I thought were influencers, potentially, you know, geographic cousins, you know, historical cousins, these kinds of things. And so I've come to my set of, uh, my current, I would say I, I try to be intellectually honest and say the approach that I use is my mental framework. It's not, I'm saying this is the way it happened. These are the truths of the source information. Uh, I just find a, I, I would say what I have is a very good working model. Whether it's historically accurate or not, it's a good working model, which fits with the techniques of the style. And, you know, so for me, it's um, internally coherent, right? And that's that's important to me. And so since I, I try to be honest about that, uh, people can take it or leave it. Other people make truth claims that I cannot stand behind and, and that frustrate me. So I think if you're going to make a truth claim, you have to be able to back it up. And I think there's there's scant evidence for a lot of things we want to know. So – so I wrote, so, uh, so sorry, long, long winded no, way go, to get go. your answer. Randall. Yep. So, no. you know, I took a very top down approach, right? I, I went like strategies, tactics, learning models, teaching theory. Like, how do you go from real high level 
to then deep dive and make sense of techniques and applications. So the book, the my first book, Principle Driven Skill Development, was really well received. Seems to be very popular among certain people, which I'm very happy about. I'm very appreciative of my teacher to help me write the book and edit it and publish it. Um, but what the feedback I did get that I wouldn't say negative, but the critical feedback was, okay, now what do I do? Like, thanks for the, thanks for the, yeah. the high level yep. map. Yep. Now, yep. how do I get to Albuquerque? Like, I <laughs> like, I, I get, I, I get that I'm on the, the, the right planet, but where, like, what's next? And so that's the challenge that, that I've had to uh, t- undertake the last few years, which is turn the high level stuff into curriculum. 